Take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27 is one of the gospel accounts, the final moments of Jesus' earthly life before his death. And chapter 28 speaks of his resurrection and his new life forevermore. But today we will focus on what occurred when Jesus hung on the cross of Calvary. When I was in high school and college, there was much talk about living a gospel-centered life or a cross-centered Christian life. It almost became a fad to talk about living uh, with the gospel at the forefront of your mind. I don't mean fad in a bad way, but it was popular to speak of. Um, I think we need to continue that thought that everyday believers are to meditate on the gospel of Jesus and specifically what happened when the Son of God hung on a criminal's cross. Just under 2,000 years ago, God in the flesh was ministering among men. He was teaching. He was healing. He was demonstrating true love. His followers were numerous. The common people received him gladly. Some thought he would inaugurate an earthly kingdom to overthrow Roman rule. No doubt many of those who waved branches and shouted, Hosanna, thought that they were welcoming a new earthly king. They were not wrong. For Jesus, the Christ, was God's choice to redeem and restore this earth to its intended purpose of a place to glorify him. But these were short-sighted in understanding the scope of the problem that Jesus came to solve. You see, although Jesus healed many Mankind's problem was not primarily or at its root physical. Although Jesus fed the hungry, humanity's need was not for physical bread. And although Jesus will one day defeat all the rulers of the earth and reign as king, our problem at its core is not one of human government. Since Adam and Eve's disobedience to God in the Garden of Eden... Sin has separated us from God. The spiritual problem of sin could not be solved with physical or government solutions, even though Jesus will solve all of those, as we will see. God the Father, a just and holy God, hates sin. And his wrath on sin must be satisfied. But this same God is merciful, loving, and kind, and so he was the one who acted to initiate the plan of salvation to redeem us by sending his son Jesus. When Jesus died, God accepted the sacrifice of his own son as sufficient payment for our sin. And all who receive Jesus have the right to forgiveness and the right to be called the children of God by believing on his name. The week before Easter is a remembrance of the Passion Week, the final week of Jesus' earthly ministry. On Good Friday this week, we will especially remember his death. And this next Sunday, we will especially remember his resurrection. 
Now, the work of Christ's death and his resurrection cannot be totally divided when it comes to studying what they accomplished. In fact, the New Testament often speaks of the gospel as the whole of Jesus' ministry, his life, his death, his resurrection, his exaltation. In fact, you could speak of the entirety of of the Bible as the plan of salvation. So we're, our purpose in preaching on the cross today and on the resurrection next Sunday is not to totally divide them and say they did totally different things. But the New Testament is very explicit often in saying these are things that the cross specifically accomplished. So the message today is entitled The Work of the Cross. What happened when the Son of God hung on the cross? We will see what the cross accomplished in regards to human sin. In regards to the need for peace and unity for mankind. In regards to Satan, the forces of evil, the curse and the fall. All of that was dealt with at the cross. This turning point of human history. Because man's eternal relationship with God was forever changed. Would you look with me at Matthew 27? And we'll only read beginning in verse 45, but I encourage you this week to spend some time reading the entirety of Matthew 27 and looking to all four Gospels in their account of Jesus' final hours. Matthew 27 and verse 45. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out, with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. With the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place. They were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Let's pray. Our God, give us wisdom as we open your word to understand the significance of the verses that we just read. For throughout the remainder of the New Testament, we understand more of the depths of this mystery that we just sang about, that Christ died for us. And while we will not have time this morning, Lord, to unfold this in any way completely, May something that we discover from your word today change how we understand the cross. Would it 
allow us to meditate daily on what Jesus has done for us? And would you draw someone to Jesus through this sermon who needs to believe in Christ for the first time? That you would reveal to them the glory of the cross and that it was for them that they would be drawn to repentance and faith. In Jesus' name, amen. So what happened? Jesus died. He, we, we can study the events of Matthew 27, but the rest of the New Testament unpack exactly spiritually what happened when Jesus, the Son of God, died. We'll look at four major truths regarding that today. We could look at others. The first one will take the most time, but it's perhaps uh, the most spoken of in the New Testament. And that's number one. At the cross, Christ paid the penalty for our sin. At the cross, Christ paid the penalty for our sin. This is the atonement. To understand this, we need to remember that God, the Father, is both loving and just. John 3.16 says He gave His Son, Jesus Christ, because He loved the world. Now, there are those who believe that the cross was only a demonstration of His love. But that is incomplete. Was the cross a demonstration of God's love? Absolutely. Was Jesus' death an example of love for us? Well, of course it was. But it was so much more. Because the cross is the revelation of God's ultimate love and His ultimate justice. According to Romans 3.25, Jesus' death satisfied God's wrath on sin. And I want us to spend some time this morning understanding that. Because of God's holiness, sin must be punished, not overlooked. And this was necessary if anyone was going to be saved. A punishment had to be dealt for our eternal problem of sin. I mentioned that this is the atonement. It reckons back to the Old Testament sacrificial system where animals were sacrificed for a limited scope of sin to temporarily cover the sins of those who were offering those sacrifices. This is important to God. He spends many chapters of his preserved scriptures speaking about the details of this sacrificial system. But all of this, Hebrews tells us, was a shadow of what was to come, which was Christ, the perfect sacrifice. And there's two, two aspects of the atonement that we could look at. We'll look at the second one today. We could look at Christ's obedience for us, where he lived in obedience to God's law in our place. But The second aspect is Christ's suffering for us, and that's what we'll look at today. He took the penalty for our sins, dying in our place. When he was hanging on the cross, he experienced incredible pain and sorrow. Jesus experienced physical pain. And when we think as humans of the cross, often our our eyes are focused on his physical pain. The blood that was shed. The lashings and beatings that he endured. Crucifixion was the most horrific death. A slow death by suffocation as Christ's already beaten body 
strained for every breath. And if you're like me, meditating on the physical pain of the crucifixion is incredibly uncomfortable. I don't like to talk about it or think about it. It really is hard for me to even meditate on. Seneca, the first century orator, wrote of crucifixion as watching a man drawing the breath of life amid long, drawn-out agony. It was awful. He experienced perhaps the most excruciating human death any man has ever endured. But this was not the only pain he endured. Possibly even more excruciating than the physical pain, yes, more excruciating, was the pain of bearing our sin. God the Father laid our sin on His Son Jesus, causing incredible pain of the soul and anguish. To understand this, we can slightly compare this to the guilt that you and I experience when we do what is wrong. There's incredible guilt and sorrow over our failures. A deep pain knowing that things in our soul are not the way they should be. We feel distant from God. We feel distant from righteousness. And if we are growing in our personal holiness, the pain over sin is even deeper. Jesus was perfectly holy. Sin was not at home in him at all. And he had never felt the pain for his own sin. He had never felt the guilt for his own sin or the distance from God over his own sin. And now he takes on the guilt of my sin and yours. When you and I sin, if we have the Holy Spirit, we feel a sense of revulsion and turmoil. Imagine the pain of soul for the perfect Son of God, who knew no sin of his own. At this point, it's helpful to remember both Christ's complete divinity and his complete humanity. As God, Jesus had never sinned and had a perfect holiness that repulsed sin, making the presence of sinful guilt all the more painful in his soul. As human, Jesus bore anguish of his mind, soul, and heart heart-wrenching fear, emotional turmoil. All of this placed on him, bearing the guilt of your sin and mine. Placed on him by God the Father. Just as Adam's sin was imputed to us, So now God imputed our sins to Christ. That is, God thought of our sins as belonging to him. Even though he had not committed them, they they were not his from a commission standpoint, but from a liability for punishment, the guilt of our sin was placed completely on Christ. Jesus took this pain knowingly and willingly. Jesus said in his teachings, the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus knew what he was doing. He received willingly as our substitute the suffering that we deserved. He was our representative on the cross. 
He did this once and for all, and he does so sufficiently. We need no other representative. He does this sufficiently. This is why next week we will celebrate the Lord's table. Brent will pray. He will lead us through that time. But he will not represent us before the throne of God. We directly are represented by Jesus Christ, just as we were because of his once for all sacrifice on the cross. So he experienced the pain of bearing our sin. He also experienced the pain of separation from God the Father. Jesus had taught crowds of thousands, healed and blessed many. He had mentored 12 disciples very closely, three of them who were even closer. But at his death, he was forsaken by all of them. He was abandoned and alone. But perhaps even greater, yes, much more so, even greater, was the pain not of being abandoned by his friends, but separation from his heavenly father. And we can't fully grasp the close relationship within the Trinity between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's a hard concept for us to grasp. But it is ultimate love, intimacy, and fellowship. And our text that we read in Matthew 27, verse 46, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt the pain of separation and abandonment of his heavenly Father. At the cross, God the Father, who was too holy to look upon sin, left the Son to bear our guilt alone. He also bore the pain of bearing the wrath of God. And I said we would spend some time talking about that. This last burden, perhaps the greatest of all, as God the Father focused his anger and hatred on sin directly on his own son. Even the pain of that for a moment would be more than any other human could bear. Romans 3 says that the punishment for our sins that God had forgiven even in times past were now laid on Jesus Christ. Now, this idea that Jesus satisfied and bore and and, and held the direction of God's wrath, this is quite a controversial idea. In fact, there are many who would claim to believe in Jesus' death, but not believe that what he did actually satisfied God's wrath. But it's an integral part of the scriptural teaching on this. Let me give you an illustration of that. We sing hymns here that hopefully intentionally teach right theology. That's the goal when we sing songs. There's a hymn we sing often. It's called In Christ Alone uh, by Keith and Kristen Getty. And, And there's a lyric in that hymn that says that when Jesus died on the cross, the wrath of God was satisfied. They put that in there intentionally. They, didn't mis- they weren't mistaken when they wrote that hymn. Uh, several years ago, I think it was 2013, there was a hymnal publisher putting together a, a hymnal, and they asked permission to publish In Christ Alone, but to change that lyric. 
from the wrath of God was satisfied, I believe they wanted to change it to the love of God was magnified. Which, as I said before, was the love of God magnified on the cross? Absolutely. But they wanted to change that. And, and they said that they did not specifically have a problem with substitutionary atonement, which is what we're talking about. They said they did not have a problem with God's wrath. They believed that God had wrath. But specifically with that word, satisfied. That God's wrath was satisfied on the cross. They really had a problem with that because they said that sounds like God killed Jesus. The objection was the cross could not be an instrument of God's wrath. It was a demonstration of his love. Um, The authors of the hymn refused to allow them to change it. Um, This is at the very heart of the atonement. That God's holy character, that within God's holy character, is the necessity that sin be punished and paid for. Romans, Hebrews, 1 John, all speak of Christ's death as the propitiation. That word means that God's wrath, his just wrath, has been satisfied. A sacrifice that turns away God's anger. Jesus bore the wrath of God. It was focused like a laser beam on him. The wrath that you deserved and I deserved. Knowing this pain, physical pain, pain of abandonment, pain of separation, pain of bearing the wrath of God and bearing our own sin. How much more now can we appreciate the phrase in Hebrews 12 too that Jesus endured the cross. But there came a point in Matthew 27 and it's recorded in the other Gospels. Where Jesus, in his divine knowledge, was aware that he had almost fully endured the wrath of God. He had almost completely borne our guilt. The justice of God was about to be fully satisfied, and the guilt of our sin was about to be removed from him. He became aware of that. And at this moment, he cried out, It is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Matthew 27 says he yielded up his spirit. And with that cry, the Son of God intentionally, willingly, voluntarily took a final breath and died. It was finished. The prophecies of the Old Testament were fulfilled in Christ. Satan and his powers had been dealt the final blow. The eternal plan of salvation, although it would unfold over millennia, had now been fully accomplished. He poured out his soul to death and bore our sins, the scripture says. There is now, therefore, because it's completed, no condemnation for all who are in Christ. There's no accusation left from God the Father toward God's children. It's paid in full, our debt. All condemnation has been fully absorbed by Jesus Christ 
Let me read some scriptures. First Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Substitution. God in the flesh died in your place in mine. It's unmistakable from the scripture. Isaiah 53, to go back to the Old Testament prophecies of Christ. He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And to the objection that did God really kill Jesus? Was it an an outworking of the wrath of God? Isaiah writes, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It was the will of God the Father to crush his only son. John the Baptist correctly pointed out when introducing Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This substitution is what grants us the gift of of forgiveness. Take your Bibles and go to Colossians chapter 2. And we could spend much time in Colossians 1 and 2. I'll reference several passages over the next few moments as we unpack and as Paul unpacks what happened at the cross. And really, if you're, if you're wanting to understand Paul's writings and the New Testament writings, it's really taking the gospel story and applying it to real life. That's what we've done in Romans, as Brent has unfolded that. The gospel of Jesus Christ, this is the theology of it, therefore. So in Colossians 2, 13, he remembers, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, This forgiveness comes through the cross. How do I know? Verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. This is perhaps the clearest statement in all of Scripture of what happened when the Son of God hung on the tree. The record of debt there refers to mankind's disobedience to God's law. It condemns us, as Romans says. But this debt was canceled, obliterated. It no longer exists for the children of God because it was nailed to the cross. It's not a physical document, but this spiritually occurred. This transaction did. The debt was paid because Christ died in our place, paying our debt of sin. And God was pleased to accept the payment of his own son as sufficient for our sin debt. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 tells us that without the cross, we are dead in our sins. We are totally separate from God and Christ and salvation. Without the cross, we have no spiritual life or ability to even respond to the work of the Holy Spirit. Without the cross, we cannot and would not come to God. And our disobedience to God's law created an insurmountable debt that we, create, that we owe to our Creator. But this is nailed to the cross. And because of Christ's death, our debt is 
forgiven. So when we come to faith in Christ, we are made alive together with him, united with Christ, and now able to respond to his work and live in worship to him. At the cross, Jesus took our sin. Second thing that happened at the cross, evil power is destroyed. We'll move more quickly through these. We could spend more time. The world's power is destroyed and Satan's power is destroyed. Galatians 1.3 says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Galatians 6.14 says that uh, Paul was glorying in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which, by the cross, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The world is the system that opposes God and his kingdom. But because of the cross, we as believers are dead to the world and the world is dead to us. That is, the world's power over me is destroyed and my enslavement and allurement to the world has died. We are delivered from the power of the world. If you feel the allurement toward worldly pleasure, which you will, because we are, in, we are human and we have a flesh that pulls us that direction, know that they have no actual power over us. We do not need to be conformed to this world, but we can be transformed into the image of Christ. So the world's power, Satan's power, and his spiritual evil forces were disarmed at the cross. Looking forward in Colossians 2, you're still there, to verse 15. After he's speaking of what happened when our debt was nailed to the cross, it says he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. In Jesus' death, since our sins have been paid for, Satan, the great accuser, has no case anymore. He's exposed for his worthlessness and helplessness. In accusing the saints, he's put to shame. The irony must be noticed. If you and I were to watch Jesus' death as an observer, we would think, well, he has finally found a power that he cannot overcome. It seems that he's subject to the Roman authorities or to the will of the religious leaders at that time. But that was not the case. It was in his death, in the very act of submitting to this death, that he triumphed over every authority, human and spiritual. Christ was demonstrating his right to promise us that no power in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. No doubt you and I experience the effects of Satan's work and spiritual forces that are trying to disrupt God's work. They're trying to exalt sin in the world and attempt to defeat God. But the cross has defeated sin and Satan. His work is futile. His plans will all be thwarted. And the truth of Christ has won because of the cross. So we don't need to live this life walking in a state of defeat by an enemy who has already been defeated. Rejoice daily that the victorious Christ is yours and his victory is yours. At the cross, evil powers were destroyed. Third, at the cross, the curse is lifted, reconciling all things to Christ. I encourage you to study Galatians 3.13 that relates 
the curse placed on Christ, because it said, cursed is every man who hangs on a tree. And because Jesus was cursed hanging on the tree of Calvary, he was able to lift the curse of sin from off the earth. Ever since the fall, God placed a curse on the earth. Romans 8 tells us that it was God who did that. But he did it in hope of the future redemption that he himself would provide through Jesus. And by being accursed for us, Jesus was able to redeem us from the curse of sin. Colossians tells us in chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, that through Christ, he's reconciling all things to himself. These are big picture ideas saying that he's making all things right because of the cross. It was the most momentous occasion in all of human history. It really is the hinge of all. The, dis- the disharmony of the universe, the struggles, the battle between right and wrong, the battle between God and the forces of evil, the battle that has been, that's been waged is now won. Things are being put right by the blood of his cross. Reconciliation is one of the ways Scripture speaks about our salvation. That our relationship with God has been made right. From our perspective, it looks like we're forgiven. We're sinners now become saints. We are enemies of God, now sons and daughters of God. And of course, as we saw earlier, from God's perspective, it is His wrath on sin has been satisfied so God and man can be reconciled to one another. One commentator said this, at the cross, the whole world has the opportunity to be reconciled to the Father. The peace that the world has been seeking, the unity of all people, is found in blood. The blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, Ephesians 2. Reconciliation for the world. Peace and unity comes only by the blood of Christ. This reconciliation of all things by the cross of Christ is an incredibly hope-filled message. It doesn't mean that everyone will be saved. It does mean that there is a universal offer of salvation to all. But some will be reconciled to God as their judge. But all will be made right. The last thing I want us to look at is from John chapter 12. Would you turn there with me? This passage is actually what gave birth to this sermon. John chapter 12 and verse 32. Jesus was speaking with some Greeks or Gentiles, non-Jews, who came saying they wanted to see Jesus. And he began speaking to them of his death. And he specifically talked about when he would be lifted up from the earth on the cross. John 12 And verse 32. 
And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. The lifting up could also imply his resurrection, his ascension. But specifically because of verse 33, I believe it's appropriate to focus this attention on Jesus' death. His being raised up. This reckons back to his conversation with Nicodemus. Where he said, as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness and all who look are redeemed, so the Son of Man must be lifted up on the cross and all who look to him will be redeemed. Jesus said, when I am lifted up on the cross, I will draw all men to myself. As I said, when Jesus spoke these words, it was to several non-Jews who would come asking to see Jesus. And he's saying all people because both Jews and Gentiles, everyone who is here today, everyone across the world comes to Jesus when he's lifted up on the cross. Christ brought all people to God through the cross. And the cross is our singular point of unity as human beings. Our world today has a longing for unity. I have a longing for unity. I hope you do too. It's God-given. The only way that will be achieved, ultimately, is when we all, shoulder to shoulder, look at Christ raised up on the cross. That's the message of Scripture for today and every day is that all people can come and be unified because, not because they're the same, but because they have the same Christ. We are standing here today unified because we are all unified in to whom we are looking, to Christ. You know, there's a certain attraction about Jesus' death. Jesus' teachings attract many His life attracts many, but specifically the idea that God would die for man is an attractional message. People are fascinated and drawn toward that message. We know that's because the Holy Spirit is using that message to draw people to repentance. It's the message of Jesus' death that actually draws people to himself. What a powerful verse, John 12, 32. When I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. It is the message of the cross that actually draws people to salvation. That's why I hope you won't go too long sitting in these pews from week to week without hearing of the cross. Because if we preach continually of Jesus' morals or of fascinating stories, We may draw people into this room, but we will not be drawing people to Christ because Jesus is the one who draws people to himself based on his work on the cross. As Jesus is lifted up on the cross, it is there he draws people to himself. It's attractional. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says the message of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
If you're listening today and your response to what we've seen from Scripture is, that is foolishness. It's foolish for anybody to believe that. Then you are perishing in your sin. But if your response is, wow, that is powerful. That is divinely powerful. Then one of two things may be true. Either you are already a believer in Christ. Or you are being drawn to Christ today. The drawing of Christ implies a couple of things. That without the cross, we are far away from Christ. We aren't close. We need to be brought near. And without the cross, we will not come to Christ. But if you today are sensing the drawing of Christ, and what I mean by that is as you're listening to this message, there is something inside of you that says, I long to believe in that. Then you can come to Jesus today. You must come by way of Jesus. If in your soul you know you need to come to Christ, Scripture promises that when you come to God, you will not be turned away. I invite you today to turn from your sins, the sins that Jesus bore on the cross in your place, and place your faith in Jesus alone and what He has done on the cross, Christ crucified and risen from the dead. In front of you, in the pew and in your bulletin, is a connect card. I invite each of you today, no matter your response, to take one of those out as we close the service. On one side in the middle, it says, my response today. That's an opportunity for you to express your response to this truth being preached today. Do you trust in this Christ Would you like to speak more with someone about how to trust in this Christ who died on the cross in your place? Would you take that card out and mark mark your response? And as you leave today, the boxes at the doors are marked connect card. Would you drop it in that box? We would love to respond and say, let's open the scriptures. And let's understand what happened when Jesus died for you. There's something attractional about the cross of Christ. The unity that it brings is something our hearts long for. The forgiveness it brings is something our guilt says we need. And whether you are already a believer in Jesus or you could be today trusting in Jesus for the first time, this story of redemption, the cross, the hinge of all human history, is celebrated this week, the Passion Week, but hopefully our daily meditation, the cross before us. May that be our plea. Let's pray. Our God, our Heavenly Father, our just and holy yet eternally merciful and loving God, thank you for the plan of redemption. whereby you sent your only Son, Jesus, God in human form, in human flesh, 
to absorb your wrath on sin, your fury justly poured out on him in our place. But we must receive this gift of salvation for that to be applied to us. Would you continue to draw people to Jesus? When he was raised up on the cross, he accomplished the work of redemption. And it's through the cross that all can come to Christ. For those who you are drawing to salvation today, allow them to not rest until they have turned to you. For those of us who are being saved, this message is the power of God. The power to defeat sin. To have hope in a hopeless world. To have encouragement amid discouraging circumstances. To have purpose amidst, uh, amidst a meaningless situation that we may find ourselves in from our perspective. Without the cross, we're far from you. But because of the cross, we are drawn near and are represented by Christ alone at the throne of grace. It's at this throne that we plead today because of Christ. Amen.